So you, you understand how everybody plays a role. That's leadership. That's putting your collaboration together, everybody understanding their role. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Janet Pilcher. Thanks for having a desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is all about actions we take to improve workplace culture and achieve results, and they're all aligned to our nine principles for organizational excellence. We're getting closer and closer, and on October 28th and 29th, Quint Studer will present a keynote to our audience and join me for a conversation at our Destination High Performance Conference. It's going to be a virtual conference, and we welcome you to this event. You can register at studereducation.com slash events. As you all know, Quinn has been joining me for about two months to lead up to our conference and to provide some conversation about leadership topics and workforce engagement topics. And what I'm going to do now is change it a little bit. And over today and over the next two episodes, talk a little bit about Quinn's experiences and talk about how his experiences in education transferred to healthcare and then into the community. So I welcome Quint to our show today. Quint, welcome back to our show today. I'm excited about our show because we're going to talk a little bit about your beginnings. And um, there are a lot of great stories connected to that. So welcome today. Well, thank you. I think, too, for the listeners, it'll also show them why I've always been so connected to education. Yeah. You know, I think let's just start at the beginning of a little bit about where you're born and, you know, live your childhood. You know, let's start there. Okay, I was born at McNeil Hospital in Berwyn, Illinois, which is the southwest suburbs of Chicago. My mother grew up in Chicago. We were one of these families where all the relatives lived within about a block of each other. I grew up till fifth grade in Brookfield, Illinois, went to Congress Park Elementary School. And um, it was one of those deals where I grew up in a two-bedroom home with my sister and my parents. My sister had one bedroom, my parents had the other bedroom, and in their bedroom, they had a drape that came across, which which was separated my bedroom. My dad worked at General Motors, really called Electromotive, was a diesel mechanic place, and we were right by the quarries, which was neat, because you could at night see the trains going in and out. And of course, back then, it was my mom lived there almost her whole life, and when she moved into the big house and got married, my grandma and my one uncle, who, who was not married, moved into the garage. So the garage was, everybody sort of moved, you know, depending on how many kids they had. And so I went to Congress Park Elementary School. I, I struggled in school. As most people know, I was in speech pathology. And so I had a very rough time pronouncing names. In fact, but back then, they didn't identify you in third grade. You, they identified you once you got to kindergarten. So I was in speech classes, and probably the only one that could really understand me for a long time was my mother, because she could sort of interpret what I was saying. Um, And I was really grateful to speech pathologists, but you know, when you're already feel sort of uh, not good about yourself because you're speaking, but then the speech pathologist comes to get you out of class, you're already feeling identified. And then you, you actually go to the speech pathologist, and then you come back and you're even farther behind than before you you left. So kindergarten, first and second grade was extremely hard. I also could not read at the end of second grade. And I still have my third grade, my second grade report card where it says, um, you know, we're going to pass Quint to the third grade, I think it was for six weeks to see how I did. And if I didn't do any better, I'd go back to the second grade. And the only reason I got passed to the third grade 
was my mother had quickly became the secretary of the PTA so she could leverage me getting into the third grade. So um, she played an emotional bank account. I got put into the third grade and that's where Mrs. James helped save my life, my third grade teacher. And I, I can show you pictures of my second grade class without me smiling and my third grade class with me smiling. A second row, right next to Mrs. James. And if you notice, she's got her hand on my um, elbow, probably trying to tell me to behave a little bit. But um, she took a special interest in me and she knew I loved sports. And so she would bring the Chicago Tribune paper into school. And she taught me how to read by reading sports. I actually got quite good in math because we did box scores too. And, um, you know, I, I've noticed that when I taught, if you can find something a person is passionate about, They'll go through the discomfort to learn because they're passionate about the information. And so I'll, I'll always be grateful to Mrs. James. And then she also did something else. Um, we had a school play that year. And, you know, when you have a speech um, deficit, you're, of course, terrified to be in a school play. And you know you're not going to have a speaking part. You know, you're going to be a rock or a tree or stage design. And she actually gave me a part. And it was one of the words she wanted me to learn how to pronounce, which was poor, because I can never pronounce poor. I would pronounce it as per. And so my line was, I'm as poor as ever. And I had to think of pouring milk, even though it meant poor money wise. She taught me when I think the word poor, think of pouring milk. And I still remember exactly where my mother sat, exactly where she sat. Because when you've got a child that's not doing well in school, you are terrified of their failure and their embarrassment. So Mrs. James made a huge, huge impact on me. So that was um, probably the first big teacher that, not that the other ones didn't try, but she just figured out what my, what it was that was gonna hook me, what my passion was gonna be. And I found the same thing out when I taught high school for certain kids that struggled in reading. If I talked, got the motor vehicle book on how to get a license, all of a sudden they would really read those things. So trying, you know, trying to find things that a student is passionate about, because if we're passionate about something, we'll go through the discomfort. And, you know, Quint, I just, I can, I can, um, I don't know, I, I don't know if you remember, but I had the opportunity to, to travel with you in that, in Chicago, going through showing me where Mrs. James, where you were with Mrs. James and where your, your family's house was. So, as you're telling the story, you know, I can just visualize that and just such a, I know Mrs. James made a great influence. And then you had, you know, you had some additional K-12 yeah. experiences that eventually led you to go to college and major in education. So yeah, no, I'm real quick. And I know we're running on time. My sixth grade teacher, I struggled in fourth and fifth grade because I was very active. I, I, my attention took deep, my attention was about a, a gnat and me could be on this <laughs> page, you know, I'd also know where had that teacher get on that side of the room when they were over there and, and, and so on. So if you read my fourth and fifth grade report card and say, doesn't pay attention, disrupts the class, bothers the other students. I got into sixth grade and I ran into a teacher named Mr. Fry. And it was pretty interesting because I used to say, I tell people he liked me because he changed the seating arrangement of the classroom. And I ended up having my desk right next to his desk. And we co-taught that entire year. And one, he knew I needed extra help because I also a hearing deficit, which means I, I miss things. So that way he could help me because his desk was sort of in the back facing 
wasn't in front of the classroom. It was sort of behind the desk. The de kids faced the blackboard. So he could see the class from behind him. I was next to him. So that way he could help me without other people knowing he was helping me, which, you know, lacked less embarrassment. He also knew uh, every time I looked like I was getting, like, not paying attention, he like, do this, do that, do that. So he, he really was interesting. And, you know, my mother came back from parent-teacher conferences, which meant I always act like I was sound asleep. So, she, you know, I figured I got was going to get some type of lecture, especially after fourth and fifth grade, which didn't go well. And she came in and she woke me up and she said she had such a marvelous meeting with Mr. Fry, how much he liked having me in class. And she said he, 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 he complimented how much energy you have. And it basically, what Mr. Fry did is figured out how do we take something that other people are seeing as a weakness and build on a strength. And, and again, you know, when I speak, I talk about my teachers. I'll have people in healthcare for years come up to me because they've got a child that's behind in school and they want to talk to me privately. And I always tell them, focus on the strength, focus on the strength. And so Mr. Fry was a huge impact. And then, of course, I got extremely lucky in high school, which I really struggled with. Because in high school, where you don't have the discipline of one teacher, you can move from. And for me, I tended to work better with teachers where I had a relationship with them. When high school, I didn't get those relationships. Yeah. So I did very poor in high school, but I played soccer. And I played freshman soccer for a brand new teacher named John King. And, and I didn't realize till later, the reason he was a new soccer, his parents were in the were missionaries and they were in India. And that's how he learned how to play mm -hmm. soccer. So he was my soccer coach. And I love Coach King because he always would compliment you. You'd miss a ball. And instead of saying you missed it, he'd say, way to run, way to hustle, <laughs> way to get over there. And um, my sophomore year, I had him my freshman, sophomore year, and it was wonderful. My junior, I got cut right away. First guy cut. Me and one other guy got cut right away, probably deservedly so, by the way, for, I think, screwing around in the locker room. And anyway, my senior year, I got a phone call because I wasn't going to go out for soccer because I got cut. And I got a phone call from one of the kids on the team, Lee Benesak, who said, Quint, Coach King wants to know why you're not out for soccer. And I said, well, he's the sophomore coach. And they said, no, he's the new varsity coach. He told me to call you to come out. I get teary-eyed. So I went out. And I got to play soccer. And for me, a kid who didn't think he fit in, I got a letter. And I wore that letter sweater every Friday religiously. In fact, I still have it. One time I told my wife, Rishi, we should throw some things out because we don't use them anymore. She said, well, put your letter jacket on top of it when you throw those things out. Well, <laughs> those things are still with us, too. Anyway, um, so, so then uh, because I had study halls, Coach King would write a note to get me out of a study hall to go into his classroom and be like a teacher assistant. And he, he taught special education. So when I got to college, um, luckily got to college, they, they, um, I took the ACT test and I actually did so well that they had a special meeting and said, he's a lot smarter than his grades look. Let's, let's get him into college. And they found a school called University of Wisconsin-Whitewater that has a special emphasis on students that have some challenges. And, and I went there and they asked me what to major in. And I didn't know. My dad didn't go to college and my mom didn't go to college. And I thought, of who do I know went to college? I thought, Mrs. James, Mr. Fry and Coach King. And I said, I want to be a teacher. They said, what do you want to 
teach. And I thought high school, because I like sports, I like pep rallies, that seemed fun. You being a tennis, high school tennis coach can relate. And then I um, said, what do you want to teach? And I got scared, Janet, because I don't spell well because of my challenges. And I didn't want to be embarrassed. And then I thought of Coach King. So I said, I want to be a special ed teacher. And that's what I, how I got into education. And um, those learnings are what I built my entire career around, what I learned being a teacher. Yeah. And so, you know, Quint, just, um, you know, this is always, you, you coined the phrase, you know, don't underestimate the difference that people make. And I mean, just the number of people that made a difference in your lives to get you to a place where you could go to college and find your first career. And so you started as a, as a high school teacher and then transferred, you know, to healthcare. And I also always hear you talk about how you took teaching and transferred what you learned in teaching to healthcare practices. So, you know, as we close today, can you talk a little bit about how you transferred those practices of teaching to healthcare? Sure. It's sort of ironic, you know, because I was in healthcare, I'd have people say, do you think this could ever be transferred in education? I had to say, that's where it came from in education. So sure, um, I'd love to. Number one, teachers have a skill set to take complex issues and break them on to simple steps. And when we're looking in any leadership role, isn't it taking complexity and turning into simple, doable steps? That's what teachers' whole skill set is. The second thing you have to sequence, and of course, a teacher is a natural sequencer. What I've learned in any leadership, if I don't sequence it right, people will fail. So I have to give them one skill, the second skill, the third skill. I even talk about keywords at key times and say, if you can't do, you know, take one thing, just Start with one keyword. Don't have a hundred keywords. So I think that was really important. The other thing when I taught, um, it was the first year that individualized educational plans were mandatory in school districts. So I got to teach when you set goals. So you had to set measurable goals. So for your students, you'd set, okay, they read at this level. My goal at the end of the year is to get them to this level. level. And then you had to set 90 90-day goals. So if you read my book, Hardwiring Excellence, you read about 90-day plans. That came from individualized education plans. And then you also sit down, with, at least in special ed, you sit down with the other people that are going to touch that student, call it an M team, and you each say, I'll focus on this, I'll focus on this, and I'll focus on this. So you, you understand how everybody plays a role. That's leadership. That's putting your collaboration together, everybody understanding their role. The other thing I learned was how vital reward and recognition is. I, I just knew that I learned it because I watched other teachers. And it seemed like when you, again, I, again, my background special ed. So when a student would do something well, there was a ton of reward and recognition. And I also taught the first year that children with special needs were released from colonies and institutions. So we had some kids come into our school district that had never, ever been in a public school. So you recognize them when they learned how to put their boots on without laying in the hallway, mm. when they learned how to do some basic skills, but um, reward and recognition. And, and, I, and I also, so, so, and I think that's so important as you heard me talk to three compliments to one criticism. And the other thing I learned from education is you do have to have consequences. And people look at me and they think, well, special ed, you've had consequences. Yes, we did. I, I always tell the story. We had a girl in our school named Martha. And even though she was challenged to learn, um, she was physically just absolutely gorgeous. Well, you're a high school girl, you're gorgeous, 
any high school girl has to be careful. But if you're not totally aware of certain things, you could be taken advantage of. So we had to be really clear with her about be careful what you do. Don't get into a car with people you don't know. Don't drink something you don't know. And even even our, everybody, our young men and young women, we had to be very sensitive about consequences because we were teaching them job skills, job training, and there's a role for consequences. However, you have to, I always find, really over lean on the reward and recognition. So when I got into healthcare, people always complimented me on how good I was at reward and recognition. <laughs> because, you know, I'd say stuff that they weren't used to being recognized for, like, hey, wow, great job coming to the meeting on time. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm glad I'm glad you turned in that assignment. I noticed with that patient, you talked to them about their pain. That's really great. And I did that not because I, I was a natural because I learned it in being a teacher. So I think being a, you know, last story I will, will tell you, Jana, which I think your audience will like. The hospital I was at was named best hospital in the country. And, and so there was basically a best small hospital, best middle hospital, best large hospital. So the hospital I'm in won best large hospital. And so we'd made a decision not to send, no administration went to the conference to get the award. We picked um, employees to go get the award. These employees are at this conference, and one of the guys in this, and um, he was amazed. So the, the, they met our employees. So one of the CEOs called me, and he said, you know, I, I got to ask you a question. You have no background in healthcare. You don't have a master's in healthcare, which I, I believe in, by the way. You don't have a master's in business administration. How does a special ed teacher have success as a healthcare administrator? And I said, well, here's what you learn. As a, as a teacher, you learn how to set goals, you learn how to prioritize, you learn how to break complexity into simple steps, you learn how to sequence, you learn how to get people to work together, and then you also learn a lot about reward and recognition. And he said to me, geez, I almost wish I had a degree now in education <laughs> instead, of, <laughs> instead of healthcare administration. So I think, yeah. I think sometimes educators truly, and I don't mean this to be hurtful, they sometimes devalue their talent and their skill set because they don't understand the, the talent they got. And also I've learned with, with teachers because they're so committed to their students, they bring that student home they're struggling with and they miss all the success they have. And the other hard part of being an educator is people used to ask me all the time, Janet, have you ever told Mrs. James, Mr. Fry and Coach King, thank you? And the answer was, Yes, Coach King, but I didn't tell Mrs. James and Mr. Fry because until they asked me, I didn't even think of it and I never found him, but I didn't even find Coach King. What happened? I was speaking for Palmetto Healthcare at the time and, and they asked me to tell the Coach King story that's in my book. So I told the Coach King story and they had found Coach King and flew him to oh, um, South Carolina. And when I got done with the story, excuse me, um, Coach King walked out on the stage. Mm. And um, he still remembered my misbehavior on bus road. <laughs> I was, <laughs> was going to say, I bet he hadn't forgotten you all these years. <laughs> you were a lot of fun. Anyway, um, <laughs> so my message out there is, uh, man, the impact teachers make, and you know, one of the things, of course, when I go to conferences, I've always encouraged people to let their teachers know. And that's why I've always encouraged principals to make home calls. Because I think if we're a principal and we sit in the office 
the parents that are going to call us are sometimes unhappy. I mean, if you're a principal and somebody says, hey, so-and-so's mother's wants to see you, the first thing a principal doesn't say, oh my gosh, I've been so over-rewarded and recognized today. Can I fit that person in? They go, oh my gosh. And I think because we don't, we're, we're so busy working in it, we don't work on it. I've always felt if you could call parents up, 99% of the parents are extremely happy with their teacher. And that would allow me to go into the teacher and say, Miss Pilcher, I just talked to um, so-and-so, and wow, I told them, asked them how so-and-so their student was doing. They were so complimentary. They were so this. So I think the reward and recognition is out there just because of the nature of the work the teachers do and the students. You don't hear it as much as you should or could. So that's why I've always encouraged um, principals to really reach out to parents because I think most of them are are pretty happy. Gallup said when they do a survey, it's sort of interesting. People say, oh, public education, oh, it's not any good. And then they say, well, how's your school? Oh, my school's excellent. How's your teacher? Oh, my teacher is excellent. So in essence, that's a fallacy. Public schools are and private schools, but are very good. And I believe teachers work really, really hard. And that's why, as you know, I'm so committed to getting kids ready for kindergarten, because I think that'll make all teacher jobs a lot better. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to reinforce what you said with parents' perception of teachers, we do a parent survey with our partner school districts. And I just love reading. We have the question on there, like, you know, Quint, you know, who's been helpful to you or who would you like to recognize? And I just love reading that part of the survey because parents are very specific with how much they enjoy the teacher and how much the teacher has done for their child. And there's some powerful stories in there, just like the ones that you told today. I, uh, I I appreciate the conversation today because I think it sets the stage for how you built your life. And so when we talk again, we'll just go through that next phase of your life and want people to connect it back to this part because as I've known you all these years, I think what you've talked about today is it gave you an opportunity to build the life that you have today. And those teachers made a great difference for you. And that's where I coined it, you know, purpose, worthwhile work and making a difference came from my education background. I mean, that's really, it became the foundation of my healthcare work and my community work. But it starts off with what a great profession that you have great purpose, you do worthwhile work, and you make a difference. And when you go home knowing that impact, that's pretty phenomenal. It is. And um, I've been blessed to be a part of that profession for my life as well and sharing that with you. Thanks, Quint, for today. I always enjoy the stories and uh, the impact that those teachers made in your life and the way that you've used that to help others as well. Look forward to connecting with you next time. Thank you. It's always great to have Quint with us. And so, again... Come join us at our Destination High Performance Conference, Quintessential, on October 28th and 29th. Also, What's Right in Education is coming up in November. So for any of the conferences or any of our roundtables, visit us at studereducation.com slash events and come spend some time with us and network with your colleagues. want to thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Your Performance. Please share the podcast and make sure you're subscribed. If you're looking for more resources related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com slash podcast. Look forward to connecting with you next time as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week.